0: We start the show with a minion mind bender, mind bender, mind bender, mind bender, mind bender, mind bender. This mind bending stat brought to you by official minion JJ Zacharysen. He was an official minion a few weeks ago when he wore the Roto Wonderworld shirt to a Starbucks. If you come on the show and let me interview you, I will send you a t-shirt. If the interview goes very well and you don't interrupt me and call my arguments disingenuous before I'm finished talking. (laughs) What I have chosen to do is watch all the game tape. That's what I have chosen to do. You can choose to do whatever you want. I have chosen to watch all the game tape. All of it. Today's Minion Mindbender stat... From J.J. Zacharyson, Bill Belichick could go 0-16 for 41 consecutive seasons and still have a better winning percentage than Gus Bradley. Let that sink in. While that stat is sinking in, you should consider downloading No Halftime. Because in many of your leagues, you've been eliminated. Just looking at the probabilities, you've been eliminated from a lot of leagues. So you can continue to make week 16 and week 17 interesting by downloading the No Halftime app and setting up individual player challenges with your friends or accept existing challenges that are out there. The great thing about no halftime is even if you don't have very many friends like me, I have very few friends left. J.J. Zacharysen is probably my only friend in the industry. But at this very moment, I am sad to report that I have been unfollowed by J.J. Zacharysen. This is breaking news. Run the breaking news. J.J. Zacharysen has unfollowed at fantasy underscore mansion. My best friend in the industry has turned his back on me. I am trying to process this devastating event in real time on this show in front of this microphone, and it is heartbreaking. Oh, JJ, what did I do? Come back, please. I'll try to tweet better, I promise. I'll do a better job. I promise no more Kenneth Farrow masturbation jokes. We'll have to bring him back on the show at some point and ambush him with that question. Why did you unfollow me? Just to do my favorite thing, create uncomfortable radio. So I don't have very many friends. So when I go to no halftime, I accept existing challenges. As we talked about last week, my favorite tactic on no halftime is to bet on the players Because essentially, no halftime facilitates single-player prop bets between two individuals. Pick the player with lesser brand equity. Go with a Taylor Gabriel. Go with a J.J. Nelson. Go with a Muhammad Sanu if Julio Jones is not playing against the player that has the brand equity. If you'd been playing this game all season, taking players with diminished brands up against Allen Robinson and Amari Cooper... You'd have made a lot of money on no halftime. So go to the app store, type in no halftime, download the app, then enter the promo code PLAYER100 for a 100% deposit bonus courtesy of Roto Underworld Radio. Do it now. And by now, that stat has sunk in. Oh, and 16 for 41 consecutive seasons for Bill Belichick and Gus Bradley to have the same winning percentage. How is that possible? That can't possibly be right. Oh, it can be right. It's very right. It's so right they use it on Sports Center. Owens 16 for 41 consecutive seasons. How is that not a statistical trick? It's just math. It's the tyranny of denominators. And in the case of Bill Belichick, his longevity has provided a humongous denominator. Bill Belichick is packing the longest tenured, biggest denominator in NFL coaching. Bill Belichick, the big swinging denominator. Regardless of whether or not J.J. Zacharysen's following me on Twitter anymore, I will still be listening to Living the Stream. That's the podcast that he does with Denny Carter. My favorite part of that show are the first 10 minutes when J.J. and Denny talk about the phenomenon that they find interesting inside and outside of sports. Sometimes they talk about big tobacco, big oil, big peanut butter, big everything. Well, J.J.'s signature career stat, the stat that made SportsCenter, can be attributed to big denominator. We talk about sample size all the time. Well, in the case of Bill Belichick, we know he's a good coach because he's one of the rare NFL coaches that has a big sample size. Once you have accrued decades of experience as a head coach, there are so many games on your ledger that if there's a wide disparity between your winning percentage and another's winning percentage, it's going to take many, many, many years of games to equalize them. That stat was so fascinating because it leveraged big denominator against a small denominator. Boom! 41 consecutive seasons. Wow. The other reason I love that stat so much is because I believe a year from now, you will see that J.J.'s stat has spawned 100 similarly structured stats. J.J. essentially invented a new statistical premise for mocking coaches. I guarantee that in the next three months... You will see a stat on Twitter that reads, Bill Belichick would need X-straight losses to tie Coach wise winning percentage. Or vice versa. Regardless, it's a fun stat. And the reason I love stats like this so much is because they're non-judgmental. They're just here for our enjoyment. They're just fun. Which is what all of this should be about. It's sports entertainment. It should be fun. That was not a heavy-handed tweet saying, Gus Bradley sucks those are the tweets i object to this was a cleverly structured stat that made you think that's the best but for every clever tweet that you read about gus bradley you read a hundred other heavy-handed tweets simply mocking gus bradley for being bad and the reason i object to that is because anytime we make the coach the reason for the winning and the losing we are implicitly supporting coach-centric sports analysis and the coach-centric analysis is the worst kind of analysis because i'm not sure if gus bradley is good or bad i can't detangle gus bradley's performance from the quality of his players i know gus bradley coached under pete carroll so he's seen great coaching in action that's good we know that blake bortles is very bad And their defense is not good. They're young. They have exciting playmakers. But they're a year or two away from being good. So you have a bad quarterback and a bad defense. Bring me a coach in the NFL that's going to win with a bad quarterback and a bad defense. Bill Belichick can't do that. No one can do that. That's a losing team regardless of who's wearing the headsets. I cannot tell you definitively where Gus Bradley ranks on the list of NFL coaches past and present. And it would be hypocritical for me to do so as I lament coach worship, because this is the other side of it. Coach crucifixion. If I object to coach worship, then I cannot participate in the crucifixion of Gus Bradley. So I won't. Coach crucifixion and coach worship are the same problem. Implicitly supporting coach-centric analysis. I support player-centric analysis. That's what Player Profiler is all about. That's what this show is all about. And don't give me Jeff Fisher. I'm allowed to mock Jeff Fisher because when I'm making fun of Jeff Fisher, I'm not criticizing his specific coaching techniques. I make fun of everything else that is Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher thinking Tavon Austin would double his reception total in 2016. Jeff Fisher losing his challenge flag in his... Extra large winter parka. Jeff Fisher thinking Danny Woodhead was a patriot a month ago. Jeff Fisher's anticlimactic, utterly lame speeches on hard knocks. The list goes on. I don't care about the losing. I don't care about the tactics he was employing and the head coaching role. I care about the unintentional comedy that stands apart from his coaching activities. And we're going to miss Jeff Fisher because. We had tickets to the Unintentional Comedy Tour every week, and it's over. Hell, I can't even say for sure, I can't even say for certain whether or not Jeff Fisher was a good football coach or not. If you asked me for my life whether or not Jeff Fisher's skills as a head football coach were above or below replacement, I wouldn't be able to answer you definitively because when Jeff Fisher had a good quarterback and a good defense, he went to the Super Bowl. When he didn't, he was 500 or below, but that's most coaches. Hey, there's a Buzzard email. (coughs) Buzzard writes in, what was the snap count of you versus Christopher Harris? Well, we have a winner. It's been years that this show has been on the air, and no fantasy football analyst has even come close to talking as much as I do during the interview. No one. No one. Matt Kelly microphone hog was was undefeated until Christopher Harris came along. So the Roto Wonderworld flatulent gas bag award goes to Christopher Harris. Woo! Woo, woo! He did it! We thought it couldn't be done, but Christopher Harris came in here on a mission to out-talk the talkiest individual in fantasy football, and he did it. I've been dethroned. Christopher Harris, he is the talkiest of the talkie. Not me. I'm out. I am sulking away, defeated. Christopher Harris was the first guest to out talk me and show history. And that's impressive because that's what I want. I want the guest to do more talking than I do. I leverage elongated setups to the questions to give the guest the maximum amount of time to think of a response. So when I receive a short answer to a question, it's disheartening. And then I have to jump in with some histrionics and with some funny noises and some sound effects, but not with Christopher Harris. The great thing about interviewing Christopher Harris was every time I asked a question, before I even finished asking my question, I sensed that there was significant content about to be directed at me, and that made me happy. Again, round of applause, Christopher Harris. You did it. You all love that show. I love that show. I just like talking to that dude. Looking forward to having him on again early in 2017. And on that show with Christopher Harris, we discussed the possibility that Matt Moore is better than Ryan Tannehill. That that's actually possible. And we were right. Told you so. And as we shift into full told you so radio, before I launch into self-involved, obnoxious radio, I would like to take a moment and jumped to the other side of the spectrum because I experienced an enormously humbling moment today. I was in the car on my way to the dentist. I was listening to Sirius Satellite Radio, Lithium Channel 34, alternative rock and grunge, and a song came on. And certain songs are time machines, a portal into a place in time. Certain songs bring with them vivid memories. Sights, sounds, smells, sensations. It's one of the great magical gifts that music offers the human soul. And a song came on the radio that transported me back to 1995. And I mentioned that it was a humbling experience because when I say the song, you are going to laugh because it's funny. This song should inspire memories in exactly nobody. Junior year of high school, I had a girlfriend, and things were starting to happen in the bedroom. I was almost there. So close. And this was a big deal. I was a junior in high school. I was having sex with a pillow three times a day. I Obsessed about this. This was very, very important. I felt so much passion. And at that moment, and right as we were reaching crescendo, she moved away. Gone. And I was devastated. Broken. It was about to I was heartbroken, and I needed music to soothe me. What was the song I wanted to hear? Far behind from Candlebox. I bring this up because this was the one time in my life where I was the buzzard. I have never called or emailed a podcaster or a radio station in an attempt to control the programming, like you all love to do with me, at Roto Wonderworld on Twitter. Email us, RotoUnderworld at gmail.com. Your suggestions helped produce the show, and I'm thankful for them, but I was never that guy that was calling radio stations as a kid, except this one time I called up the rock station. It wasn't an alt-rock station then. That was just popular music in the 90s. There was no such thing as alt-rock. It was just rock. I remember that moment distinctly feeling so desperate. I just had to hear the song Far Behind from Candlebox that I called the radio station and requested it, and they played it, and it was magical. It did soothe me. And then the song came on in my car after I hadn't heard it in 20 years. Magical. But in a way, humbling and pathetic because, think about it, what an oafish song choice. The girl is moving far away, leaving you far behind, so the song that you desperately wanna hear Are the exact lyrics, one for one, far behind? No symbolism, no imagination. Just literally the definition of the song title was what I needed. I mean, at that moment, I should have known that I was destined to lack any artistic skill. I would never possess artistic skills. At that moment, it was decided. You need the song with the literal words far behind in them to feel soothed. You're not gravitating toward the song with the abstract idea of a love lost. No, no. The title of the song needed to be exactly, You left me far behind. Now that I have been laid bare, fully embarrassed, let's go all the way and play the song. Mmm. Now maybe, did I mean to treat you bad? And someday we could take our time to brush the leaves aside so you can reach us. Hey, but you left me far behind. Now maybe, did I mean to treat you so bad? Brutal. Just brutal. That song made it official. Matt Kelly is not a creative person. We are through 15 weeks. A lot of outcomes have been decided. David Johnson is an elite running back. Larry Fitzgerald still has plenty left in the tank. We have a lot of answers now in late December that we did not have in late August, which begs for told you so radio begs for it. Matt Moore, week 15, 12 of 18. For 236 yards and four touchdowns. (laughs) 94.4 QBR, 126.2 passer rating. In how many games has Ryan Tannehill posted a QBR above 90 and a passer rating above 125? Let us know. Contact the show with that list of games at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us Underworld at gmail.com. Even without the definitive list, I'll tell you, spoiler alert it's not many. Told you so. Brock Osweiler is worse than Tom Savage. Brock Osweiler is not the best quarterback on the Houston Texans. That's Tom Savage. Told you so. Week 15, Brock Osweiler, six of 11 for 48 yards and two interceptions, benched. In steps, Tom Savage, 23 of 35, 260 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. QBR of 79.2, passer rating of 85.4. How many games has Brock Osweiler posted a QBR above 75 and a passer rating above 85? Spoiler alert, don't bother emailing us. Spoiler alert, very, very few. Now, Tom Savage is not a quarterback that I'm targeting in Dynasty. I'm also not targeting Matt Moore in Dynasty. These are not quality professional quarterbacks. These are backup caliber quarterbacks. The point is, so is Ryan Tannehill, and Brock Osweiler isn't even that. The question is, does Brock Osweiler belong in this league or another league like the CFL? That should be the question, not are the Texans going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> With Brock Osweiler! <laughs> ridiculous brock osweiler was an abomination on denver that was the great told you so we were talking about how bad brock osweiler was in april with liz loza on these airwaves brock osweiler negative 15.3 production premium in 2015 with the denver broncos Point. 2 fantasy points per drop back 27th in the nfl in a season in which most people believe brock osweiler performed well he did not the advanced efficiency metrics revealed that about brock osweiler we talked about this with pat mayo that's why we invented production premium so when players like brock osweiler switch teams we can know how that might affect players like deandre hopkins will fuller lamar miller The only Texan we were excited to start in week 15 was Ryan Griffin. And what did Ryan Griffin do? Our streamer du jour for week 15, eight receptions, 85 yards, 16.5 PPR points. Cha-ching! I am in the league championship game in multiple leagues solely because I benched players like Dennis Pitta for Ryan Griffin. Thank God you got to be careful with Ryan Griffin because if you're not paying attention, you could add the Saints quarterback instead of the Texans tight end. Same thing could have happened to you last year with David Johnson. There's a tight end named David Johnson. Whoops. Luckily, that didn't happen to me, but it could have. It could have. It could have. Attention to detail. Coaches preach attention to detail. I preach attention to detail when managing your fantasy team. Yes. The great hindsight bias. You should not have picked up David Johnson, the tight end. You should have picked up David Johnson, the running back, of course. And Matt Moore gives the Dolphins a better chance to win a playoff game than Ryan Tannehill does. And Tom Savage gives the Texans a better chance to win a playoff game than Brock Osweiler does. Told you so. And our Told You So radio this week is brought to you by Draft. I've been telling you, get Draft. Get Draft. Get Draft. Get draft. Why? Because they're revolutionizing daily fantasy with draft. Instead of leveraging the salary cap format where everyone can have the same players, draft leverages the snake draft format so everyone has a unique team. So everyone has unique players on their roster. And there's a Roto Wonderworld Minions draft scheduled for Friday. So email us rotounderworld at gmail.com if you'd like to be invited to that draft. But before you email us, go to the app store, type in draft. It'll be the first app that comes up. Download it and make sure you enter the promo code underworld. For a 100% deposit bonus. You're welcome. And you'll notice that when I bring on guests, I have some hobby horse questions that I continue to ask every guest. One of them is, do you think Lamar Miller is a fake bell cow? And recently, guests have been agreeing with me. And what did Lamar Miller do against the Jacksonville Jaguars? On 22 carries. 22. 63 yards. 2.9 yards per carry. in Week 15 for Lamar Miller. Oof. His yards per carry is now hovering at 4.0. He could fall below the 4.0 yards per carry threshold by the end of the season. It's just not a good sign if, in your age 25 season, you're uber prime as a running back with a top 10 run blocking offensive line. The Texans have a 121.6 offensive run blocking efficiency grade on playerprofiler.com. That's seventh in the league. So Lamar Miller has been afforded running lanes and getting the bare minimum from those opportunities. And he's only catching 2.2 receptions per game. Oof, just, I mean, he's a fake bell cow. I told you so. And not only is he a fake bell cow, Jonathan Grimes is a better all-around running back than Lamar Miller. That's another one of your contrived hot takes, isn't it, Matt Kelly? Just ridiculous. Outlandish statement. Jonathan Grimes is a nobody. Lamar Miller signed a huge contract. He's from the U. Yeah, Uh. Jonathan Grimes is better than Lamar Miller. We talked about this in the last show with Devontae Freeman, great instinctual runner. Jonathan Grimes is a better instinctual runner than Lamar Miller. Jonathan Grimes is better in the passing game, runs better routes, has better hands. And in every phase, when you watch him play, you can see this player is shiftier than Lamar Miller. When the play doesn't go exactly as planned, you'd rather have Jonathan Grimes. On any given pass play, you'd rather have Jonathan Grimes. If you're a Texans offensive coordinator, the only scenario in which it's better to have Lamar Miller in the backfield than Jonathan Grimes is when everything plays out perfectly and there's a wide running lane. Then in that particular case, using his 4.440 speed, Lamar Miller will maximize The yards gained on a long run. That's what Lamar Miller can do. And every other phase of football that a running back is responsible for, Jonathan Grimes is the superior player. But don't the Texans see this? They see these players every day. Yes, they see it, but they have the equivalent of organizational take-lock. We've talked about take-lock by fantasy gamers. Letting the opinions formed in August continue to override their best judgment in October and November. Take-lock organizations are afflicted with the same problem when the texans chose to sign brock osweiler and sign lamar miller they locked themselves into their free agent valuations and that take lock could not be broken in the case of brock osweiler until week 15 finally in week 15 the spell was broken and the vampire was benched told you so And in previous shows, we've talked about the dichotomy between Brandon Cooks and Michael Thomas. It's been very difficult this year to rank Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman for dynasty purposes. And it's been equally difficult to rank Brandon Cooks and Michael Thomas for dynasty purposes. After last week's epic performance by Devontae Freeman and by Brandon Cooks, those two players nudged ahead of their teammates at the same position it's been a fascinating dichotomy it's been fascinating to watch the perception of Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman changed throughout the year. And it's been equally fascinating to watch the perception of Brandon Cooks and Michael Thomas shift throughout the year. And we have Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman adjacent in our rankings, just like we have Brandon Cooks and Michael Thomas adjacent in our dynasty wide receiver rankings. And that's not a hedge. That's not me throwing up my hands and saying, I don't know. We have to put them next to each other because we just don't know who's better. At the midway point of the season, it looked like... Michael Thomas was the favorite target of Drew Brees and had more long-term upside than Brandon Cooks. And last week, going up against a secondary featuring Patrick Peterson that came out publicly expressing a desire to contain Brandon Cooks, the Cardinals revealed their strategy to the public. Our number one goal is to stop Brandon Cooks. And then Brandon Cooks went out and posted the best day of any fantasy wide receiver. In the face of that performance, how could you not flip Brandon Cooks, and Michael Thomas in your dynasty rankings? I asked myself that question, and the answer was, you can't justify having Michael Thomas ahead of Brandon Cooks. And it's very possible that at some point in the future, they switch places again. Same thing with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. After watching Devontae Freeman shred a San Francisco run defense that he should be shredding, while Tevin Coleman was unable to shred the San Francisco run defense... It served as a reminder that Devontae Freeman has had a much better season overall than Tevin Coleman. And if the two players are a similar age, Tevin Coleman is in his second year, Devontae Freeman is in his third year. The two players are relatively healthy, and they're both relatively young. And given that circumstance, the Falcons are feeding Devontae Freeman. They're not feeding Tevin Coleman. And when Devontae Freeman's getting fed, he's rolling up 139 yards on 20 carries, 6.9 yards per carry, and three touchdowns. Tevin Coleman, 58 yards on 14 carries, 4.1 yards per carry. Both of them catching two passes, they're really not comparable. Look at the advanced metrics. Devontae Freeman, 13 breakaway runs this year, that's top five in the league, plus 9.4 production premium, that's top 20 in the league. 24.3% juke rate, that's evaded tackles per touch, that's top 30 in the league, but Freeman has one of the best juke rates of the primary starting running backs in the NFL. He also has a 78.8% catch rate, which is top 25 in the league. Across the board, Devontae Freeman is a fantastic running back, and we had Christopher Harris on the show, and when Christopher Harris came on and I asked him the question, which is the better running back, who would you rather have in Dynasty, he said he'd rather have Tevin Coleman. He said that in the short run he'd rather have Devontae Freeman in the long run he'd rather have Tevin Coleman. In my opinion, the answer is Devontae Freeman's the better running back in the short term and Devontae Freeman's the better running back in the long term because they're both the same weight. They both weigh 206 pounds. They both have a track record of injuries. Tevin Coleman, hamstring strains, concussion, rib fractures. Devonte Freeman, hamstring strain, toe strain, concussion. Devontae Freeman's BMI is 31.3, that's 76th percentile. He's a small running back, but because he's short, he's more stout, and he has a lower center of gravity. On the other hand, Tevin Coleman's BMI is 28.7, that's only 19th percentile. Jonathan Bales wrote a piece for RotoWorld a couple of years ago showing a correlation between BMI and long-term running back performance, predicated on health. The lower BMI running backs are more injury prone. Jake David out from injury predictor came on the show and explained this phenomenon to us. So with similar injury track records, I believe the running back with the higher BMI, in this case, Devontae Freeman, is actually less injury prone than Tevin Coleman, who Christopher Harris and many others believe to be the bigger, more durable back. I don't think that's the case. Devontae Freeman has been the more efficient running back of the two this season. Tevin Coleman has only five breakaway runs. That's 25th in the league. His juke rate's only 14.3%. That's 69th in the league. And he has a lower catch rate. So while his production premium and his fantasy points per opportunity may be more impressive than Devontae Freeman, Devontae Freeman has posted quality efficiency metrics across the board, whereas Tevin Coleman's efficiency metrics vary wildly. Why? Because his sample size is smaller. If the running back getting the workhorse touches is consistently efficient across more efficiency metrics than the running back with a lower usage rate, when you look at it in that context, the efficiency posted by the running back getting the workhorse touches is all the more impressive. When you watch Devontae Freeman play, he looks like a savant. He looks like a running back savant. Christopher Harris mentioned this on the last show. If you had to pick one running back in the league that was the closest comparable to Barry Sanders, even if it's not a close comparison, if you just had to pick the running back that was the closest to Barry Sanders, regardless of the differential, that running back would be Devontae Freeman. That's why Devontae Freeman has moved ahead of Tevin Coleman in our dynasty rankings. And I don't think that Tevin Coleman could do anything in the next two games to switch his position with Devontae Freeman. At this point in the season, my mind's made up. Devontae Freeman is the better running back now, and I believe he will be the better running back five years from now. But it has nothing to do with how well either running back fits within the scheme. Because that's what we heard about Tevin Coleman when he was drafted by the Falcons out of Indiana. Not a good scheme fit for the Falcons. Yeah, yeah, well, hmm. That 5.9 yards per touch would disagree. Top 10 in the league in yards per touch. I think Tevin Coleman's fitting in just fine with the Falcons and their scheme. But it's interesting, Tevin Coleman was the most polarizing draft prospect of 2015. And I now believe that he will also be the most polarizing dynasty prospect. I think some aggressive dynasty leaguers like myself will have Tevin Coleman in the top 10 running backs, while others will leave him out of their top 30. And Christopher Harris and I agree that because we can't measure or even observe scheme fit, it's a baseless crutch argument. And I steer away from these high level generalizations that do not have a measurement system. There's no measurement system for Scheme Fit. And you should be on the lookout, as I believe the Scheme Fit narrative will be used against Leonard Fournette this year. In 2014, it was used against Tevin Coleman. In 2015, it was used against Derrick Henry. And this year, I believe. The draft Knicks will hit Leonard Fournette with the dreaded criticism that he needs to be in the right scheme. And we're getting ready to ramp up our rookie rankings. playerprofilercom forward slash player dash rankings is where you see our dynasty rankings. And once the regular season is over, we will be posting rookie rankings. And if I could measure scheme fit, of course, I would incorporate scheme fit into my rookie rankings after the draft happens, but we can't measure it. The other problem with the scheme fit narrative is that it implies that there is a major schematic difference from one team to the next. And I know that that's not true. The schemes from one team to the next in the NFL are strikingly similar. We've talked about this on multiple shows. Every NFL team runs some version of the West Coast offense and every NFL team implements zone blocking schemes. Yet during the pre-draft process... Draft Knicks lamented Tevin Coleman's landing spot. Oh, not a good fit for the Falcons. The Falcons. Famously run the zone blocking scheme, but Tevin Coleman is better off in a gap blocking scheme. That's a false dichotomy. No team only deploys gap blocking schemes, just like no team only deploys zone blocking schemes. The plays in the West Coast offense playbook are hybrids. There's no such thing as gap blocking in the NFL. Gap blocking on its own, with no zone concepts, is an anachronism. It's something that tape grinders keep alive so they can have something to write about. On any given play in the NFL, you will see gap and zone blocking techniques used. Just like all NFL teams have now implemented some version of the West Coast offense, so too have all NFL teams implemented some version of the Shanahan zone blocking system. You think only Denver and Atlanta, the places where you'll find a Kubiak and a Shanahan, understand zone blocking concepts? No, of course not. All teams leverage zone blocking concepts. You have to go to high school to find a team that only gap blocks. The whole gap versus zone blocking analysis device is a crutch argument that draft Knicks employ when they run out of player-specific traits to list. And the reason I object to these baseless false dichotomies like gap blocking versus zone blocking is because it leads to bad analysis. The unfounded criticism of Tevin Coleman during the pre-draft process led dynasty league enthusiasts to draft david cobb from minnesota over tevin coleman from indiana that happened in rookie drafts i was there i saw it happen i saw it so this is one of those few cases where my outrage is genuine when it comes to tevin coleman there's no faux outrage from matt kelly the only information that i can base my analysis on with any confidence are the numbers the metrics the things we can measure and if you ignore the analysis that was being regurgitated in that draftnik echo chamber, it was clear Tevin Coleman is a far superior prospect and had a much brighter NFL future than David Cobb. Told you so. I also told you not to start Adrian Peterson last week. How did that man Adrian Peterson do last week? All day, Peterson. Yes, Adrian Peterson. All day. All day. How did he do? You do? Six carries, 22 yards, one catch, one yard. 3.3 fantasy points. All day. All day. 3.3 fantasy points. All day. Told you so. We said don't start Ben Roethlisberger last week. Ben Roethlisberger was ranked outside the top 15 quarterbacks last week. What'd he do? He went under 300 yards and had one touchdown only. Also negative five rushing yards, which mattered. It's half a point, so... Analysts across the fantasy community are shredding Adrian Peterson at this moment, but no one's talking about how Ben Roethlisberger has face-planted thus far in the fantasy playoffs. Probably because if you started Ben Roethlisberger in Week 14, your team lost anyway. Just like those that started Drew Brees in Week 14 were not afforded the joy of watching him Throw for close to 400 yards and four touchdowns against Arizona because they were already eliminated. But Ben Roethlisberger, woof! Week 14 against Buffalo, 220 yards, three interceptions. Week 15 against Cincinnati, 286 yards, one touchdown. Since he went on the road at Indianapolis and posted 20.8 fantasy points, Ben Roethlisberger has posted less than 20 fantasy points in three consecutive games. Why is that? I don't think Ben Roethlisberger's right. Remember week 11 against Cleveland? 167 yards, no touchdown. It's been five weeks since Ben Roethlisberger looked like Ben Roethlisberger, and we have an explanation. Even though we're not doctors, every observer watched Adrian Peterson in week 15 saw a running back that was a lesser version of his former self. He's not right. Adrian Peterson should not have come back this year. He should have taken the extra time to let his knee fully heal. He did not. And he's now performing at less than 100%. And when the 31-year-old Adrian Peterson is performing at less than 100% behind the league's worst run-blocking offensive line, what do you think is going to happen? 3.3 fantasy points. That's what. And Ben Roethlisberger is also operating at well less than 100%. Ben Roethlisberger was scheduled to miss four to five games after tearing his meniscus. He missed two. Two weeks. He was out two weeks. And he faces the Baltimore Ravens this week at home. Yes. We're going to see more of the Ben Roethlisberger extreme home road splits. And that home road split propaganda could convince some fantasy gamers to start Ben Roethlisberger. And that would be a mistake. Week 16 is shaping up as a home road split trap game for Ben Roethlisberger. If you look at the last five weeks, it's clear he's not right. He rushed back from a knee injury. He should not have rushed back from the knee injury, but he did. And because of that, you cannot rely on him in the fantasy championships. I'd be more inclined to rely on Matt Barkley than Ben Roethlisberger in Week 16. Oh, yes. We disagreed with Roto World a couple weeks ago, saying Matt Barkley's ceiling was a backup quarterback in the NFL. Not so fast. Every week that goes by, Matt Barkley continues to look the part of a fully functional NFL game manager. Matt Barkley's not a QB1 in fantasy. No one's arguing Matt Barkley's a QB1 in fantasy. But can Matt Barkley read defenses, go through his progressions, and deliver the ball accurately? 30 for 43, 362 yards in cold and windy and snowy conditions in Chicago last week. I understand three interceptions. When he takes too many chances, bad things happen to the Bears. I get it. But Matt Barkley has all the makings of a shot-taking game manager that can be fantasy relevant if he has above-average weapons in the passing game. And that's what Matt Barkley had in Week 15. Alshon Jeffrey, Cameron Meredith, Deontay Thompson wasn't awful. So that's going to be the key for Matt Barkley is to learn when to take shots downfield and when to play it safe. And if he continues to evolve, he can become a lesser version of Matt Ryan. It's very possible he can become a lesser Matt Ryan, which is stunning when you think about how Matt Barkley was perceived at the beginning of the season. Told you so. There's no reason that Matt Barkley can't do what Matthew Stafford's doing. Matthew Stafford is surrounded by above-average wide receiver talent, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, and Quan Bolden. Golden Tate is a high-end NFL wide receiver. Last week, eight receptions for 122 yards on 13 targets. Compare that to Marvin Jones, three receptions for 41 yards on five targets. It's official. Golden Tate is officially blown past Marvin Jones in every receiving category. Golden Tate has 30 more receptions than Marvin Jones, 79 to 49. Yet writers at Roto World and writers at Numberfire were saying that Marvin Jones is the true number one wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. Even though Marvin Jones had never been the primary option for a team going all the way back to his time at the University of California when he was the number two option to Keenan Allen. Then in Cincinnati, he was the number two option to A.J. Green. Meanwhile, Golden Tate was an efficient number one wide receiver in Seattle. And he was a prolific primary receiving option in Detroit. In the games that Calvin Johnson missed, particularly in 2014. So, Golden Tate had a track record of quality pass performance in the number one wide receiver chair. Marvin Jones did not. This was the case that Evan Silva and I laid out over the summer. And we were right. Golden Tate was the wide receiver to own on the Lions, not Marvin Jones. Told you so. And what about first round pick Todd Gurley? Last week, Todd Gurley. 14 carries, 38 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. Todd Gurley was a first-round pick, and we labeled Todd Gurley the most overrated player in fantasy over the summer. Told you so! Since he was drafted, we've also been saying that C.J. Prosize is a better running back than Thomas Rawls. In that same game where Todd Gurley posted 38 rushing yards, what did Thomas Rawls do against the Rams? 34 yards on more carries, 1.6 yards per carry. Very little discussion about Ben Roethlisberger's five straight underwhelming weeks. And now you're reading very little about Thomas Rawls' epic face plan in the fantasy playoffs. Week 14 against Green Bay, 8.4 fantasy points. Week 15 against LA, 5.9 fantasy points. Both weeks outside the top 30 running backs. Told you so. And while Todd Gurley was the most overrated running back of 2016, we said Kelvin Benjamin was the most overdrafted wide receiver of 2016. And let's check in with Kelvin Benjamin. What did he do last night against Washington? Kelvin Benjamin, two catches for 20 yards on four targets. Five yards per target for Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin now has a 7.7 yards per target on the season, which is 81st in the NFL. His catch rate, 52%, is 82nd in the NFL, and his 11.5 fantasy points per game have now dropped out of the top 40 since Week 8, mid-season. Kelvin Benjamin has given you zero WR1 weeks, zero weeks over 15 fantasy points. In the last three weeks, the fantasy playoffs, 3.8 fantasy points, 2.1 fantasy points, and 4.0 fantasy points. Kelvin Benjamin blowing up fantasy teams. <laughs> Told you so. The Carolina Panthers record with Kelvin Benjamin 13-16 and 1. The Carolina Panthers record without Kelvin Benjamin 17 and 2 over the last 3 seasons. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. New metric coming to playerprofiler.com. Wide receiver wins, right? No, but I'm just saying. And one player that we did not have a strong opinion on one way or the other this offseason was Ezekiel Elliott. I liked Ezekiel Elliott's talent. I said that Ezekiel Elliott was the best all-around running back prospect to enter the NFL since Ladanian Tomlinson. And those that argued with me wanted to argue that Todd Gurley was a better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott. To- <laughs> Good one. probably want to walk that one back and i loved ezekiel elliott jumping in that salvation army donation pot i love touchdown celebrations i love every celebration i think players should celebrate after every first down i love that act like you've been there fuck you it's a celebration this is sports entertainment a player celebrating those are the things that offend your sensibilities really i want every touchdown celebration to look like a team gymnastics competition so i loved ezekiel elliott jumping into that salvation army donation pot but when i take a step back and i look at ezekiel elliott i get the sense that there's something brooding beneath the surface the brashness with which he jumped into that pot triggered this thought he just doesn't care about consequences i understand that jumping in that salvation army pot was fun it's cheeky that's what we want in our celebrations But in Ezekiel Elliott's case, it was also a foreboding reminder to me, a reminder that Ezekiel Elliott is going to be embroiled in another off-the-field scandal sooner rather than later. Looking at the Dynasty rankings on playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, subscribers ask us, why do you have Ezekiel Elliott ranked behind David Johnson on the running back rankings? That doesn't make sense. It does make sense. Because Ezekiel Elliott is a Dwayne. And I know you don't want to hear that. You didn't want to hear it when I called Rob Gronkowski a Dwayne either. Sometimes I say things on this show that I know you want. Other times I say things that I know you need to hear. And in the case of Rob Gronkowski, you didn't want to hear that he's a Dwayne, but you needed to know it. Remember the Wayne or Dwayne. If you're a Dwayne, you're closer to Dwayne Bowe than you are Reggie Wayne. You don't want to hear that Ezekiel Elliott is a Dwayne, but you need to know that he is. Ezekiel Elliott has multiple domestic abuse reports on his track record. Not one, multiple. He was also booked for driving with a suspended license at the time of a car crash. And that's before we discussed his other knucklehead activities, like visiting a weed store in Seattle during the NFL season. What? What the fuck are you doing? But that's Ezekiel Elliott. He's brash and he's not someone that seems to be able to process the consequences of his actions. That's Dwayne behavior. Now, an arrest is not a conviction. I understand that. That's true. But I have a policy for identifying possible Dwaynes in fantasy football. Multiple police reports. Multiple. A single police report can be explained away. That can happen to anyone. I have a police report on my record. But the instant you get two police reports on your record, that changes everything. The probability that you've been framed drops exponentially. A lesser player would have been kicked out of Ohio State. We saw it happen with Roger Lewis. He was banished and ended up at Bowling Green. But Ezekiel Elliott was a generational talent, so the institution found a way to make it work. Ezekiel Elliott is a Dwayne and it's only a matter of time before the next incident occurs. It could be this week. That's why we have David Johnson, who is three years older, ranked higher in our dynasty rankings than Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, look, JJ Zacharyson just followed me back. I was having sex with a pillow three times a day.